0: Welcome to the Business for Good Podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Hello, friends, and welcome to the 90th, yes, the 90th episode of the Business for Good podcast. First, let me give a shout-out to Andrew from the Bay Area, who I recently met at an event at Mission Barnes. It's a cool startup that is cultivating fat without animals, and he recently told me that he read one of the books that I had recommended on the show, Tender is the Flesh, which is a novel that I absolutely loved, and I do highly recommend it. So, Andrew, thanks for listening to Business for Good, and I'm really glad that you enjoyed reading Tender is the Flesh. Now, Some of you may recall that in episode 88, we discussed family planning work going on in Nigeria. Well, in episode 61, we also met Your Choice Therapeutics, which is pioneering new ways for both men and women to take control of their reproductive destinies. But as I said in episode 88, we would soon be talking more about family planning right here in the United States, and so here we are. So what about current options for contraception in places like the good old U.S. of A.? Well, I mentioned in Your Choice Therapeutics that for men today seeking to avoid impregnating women, there really are only two options, condoms and vasectomy. Of course, a lot of people, men and women alike, just don't like using condoms. So the question becomes, who is going to be responsible for preventing pregnancy, the man or the woman? And in the U.S. and most of the world, that answer falls unequivocally on the woman. In fact, the ratio of tubal ligations to vasectomies is nearly 10 to 1 globally speaking, despite the fact that a tubal ligation is a much more invasive procedure that requires general anesthesia, whereas a vasectomy takes mere minutes and it can be done in an office as opposed to a hospital, and there are even scalpel-free methods that are now available. So our guest on this episode, Dr. Escar Guarin, is on a crusade To promote vasectomies, and he even gave up his previous medical career to focus on simply being a full time vasectomist as part of his commitment to making the world a better place. That's right, his entire business is one thing and one thing only helping men take greater responsibility in their reproductive lives and avoiding unwanted pregnancies. But it wasn't enough for Dr. Guarín to have a doctor's office in Des Moines, Iowa, specializing in vasectomies. This guy has now gone out and built the country's first ever mobile vasectomy <laughs> clinic where people can come knock on the truck store and get a vasectomy on demand. The message emblazoned on the side of his vasectomy mobile says, one small snip for man, one giant leap for human kindness. While this is his livelihood, Dr. Guardian also travels throughout Latin America performing vasectomies for free and promoting World Vasectomy Day, the movement. And get this. This dude, one Friday night, even decided to vasectomize himself. Yes, you heard that right. He auto-sterilized. Now that is hardcore. Dr. Guardian's message is very clear. Vasectomies are so simple, so fast, and so easy that even he could do it just himself at home alone. In this episode, Dr. Green dispels myths about vasectomies that will be reassuring to men on the fence. Yes, you'll still keep your balls. Yes, you'll still produce the same amount of testosterone. Yes, you'll still ejaculate the same amount of semen. And yes, you'll still have the same blood flow when you need it the most. What you won't have is the possibility of creating an unwanted pregnancy. I am super impressed by the way that Dr. Guarín has turned his conventional medical career into an evangelical movement to spread the good word about the benefits of vasectomies. As he points out, the number of reasons to get a vasectomy are vast. Maybe you've had kids and don't want any more. Maybe you've decided you'd rather adopt a kid who needs a family rather than bring another human into an overpopulated world. Maybe you don't want to raise any kids at all. Either way, Dr. Guarín has a message welcoming you to come join his movement. So enjoy this episode hearing from the face of the international movement to popularize vasectomies. I now bring you Dr. Eskar Guarín. Dr. Eskar Guarín, welcome to the Business for Good podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much, Paul, for having me here. Very excited to, to share some time with you.
0: Uh, I am excited about this because this is a topic that is near to my heart, and I guess it's also near to another part of my body that we'll be talking about because you are a full-time vasectomist. I didn't even know that such a thing existed, um, but that's not what you've always been doing. So I know that you've had uh, quite a storied career. So let's just talk briefly. What were you doing before you were just snipping men's deferens?
1: Well, I have to tell you, Paul, that, you no. Know, Full-time vasectomists. Uh, there are there are some around. Okay, uh, vasectomies are a procedure that you know are part of the arsenal of procedures that many surgeons have or many physicians yeah. have. Uh, I, I don't know and if you they... want to use the
0: word arsenal when you're talking about vasectomies, <laughs> man. Like you know, just, yeah. it's a you know it's not a weapon, you know.
1: <laughs> well, no, it's not, but it's it's, it's part of the Repertoire, I would Okay, say great, better. great. Thank you. The yes. of procedures that, that many physicians have. In fact, in, in, in the rest of the world, the vast majority of vasectomies are performed by general physicians and, and, and family doctors. Uh, there are places where actually uh, these procedures are, are performed by gynecologists that are procedure. These procedures are mostly uh, in, into the repertoire of the urologists because they focus on that area of the body.
0: So there, I mean, anyways, there, there are some people who get a vasectomy from a
1: gynecologist? Correct. For example, wow. in Ethiopia and in Guatemala, 75% of the vasectomies are performed by gynecologists. And, and if you think a little deeper into that, it makes total sense. Because is, is there, there are, a shortage of urologists or no? No, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been more the, the opportunity to perform those procedures have, has been there more for the gynecologists because of the proximity that they have to the family when they are going through the process of pregnancy. So when you think about the interventions that women have gone through, or they go through in terms of reproduction and contraception in general, you know, the gynecologist is not in in, in actually in a bad position to offer a procedure that is definitely less invasive, and, and offers greater benefit for the woman, obviously, because she doesn't have to get it. But in general, because the procedure is so simple that he's probably a good person to offer that procedure. So yeah. it really shouldn't reside in, in in one particular specialty. Now, some of us have decided to go into just doing this procedure for specific reasons. And we can chat about yeah. those reasons that I have had uh, later.
0: What, what type of a doctor were you prior to being a full-time vasectomist here?
1: So I, I did my medical training back in Colombia, where I'm from. I, I went through medical school there, and then after... I finish medical school and fulfill a requirement in, in my country um, that is expected from every single person who graduates from medical school, which is going to a rural setting in the middle of nowhere and work for the government for a year so that we can get our license. I came to the states uh, following my wife. Uh, she's a microbiologist and she went to uh, she's Colombian as well. She went to the University of Maryland to do some training in um, immunology and ended up staying there. So what was supposed to be a a short period here back in 2002, 2003 ended up being the rest of our lives in the United States. And, and at that point I decided to uh, start doing uh, what is required for me to be able to do my specialty training in the United States. Initially during medical school, I was very interested in psychiatry, Uh, human behavior has always been uh, extremely interesting to me. My first love, I'd say, uh, was anthropology. I really wanted to uh, get into anthropology. But in, in, in Colombia, I, I guess I was very short-sighted and and, and and didn't think about the possibilities of what I could do with anthropology. And the next best thing for me was medicine, which is basically an anthropological study uh, of, of, of diseases. So. During medical school, I just I was so interested in psychiatry. But that year that I spent in Colombia, in the middle of the mountains, far away from a big city working for the government, changed my view of what I could do with medicine. And uh, I had to take care of pregnancies. I had to take care of elderly patients. I had to take care of uh, injuries. And, and it was a very, very interesting and amazing uh, experience. So when I came here and I was thinking about what I wanted to do in terms of a specialty training... I, I learned about this thing called family medicine, which was not a thing in Colombia. In Colombia, you know, the role of a family physician is done by GPs, which are people like me back then who graduated from medical school and start working. Yes, we are ill prepared for many things because a family physician has, has more preparation for, for us to be able to tackle a little more complex diseases. But it was very interesting. So I, I chose to do that. And I was, I was very interested in focusing my work on maternal and child health. There was no, there's no such thing as pediatrics and obstetrics combined. So the best thing to combine that was family medicine. So I went with that. And, um, and then after I finished that, I, I, I wanted to continue to have more training in, in the obstetric uh, part of, of, of what I was doing so I went ahead and did a two-year, two, two additional-year fellowship at Brown University in in Rhode Island in maternal and child health, and um, I was always interested in on reproductive and reproductive health because of what I was doing. Obviously, if I was interested in pregnancy, I by default was interested in in reproduction. And what was very interesting to me in terms of reproduction was just the provision of services that were not as invasive and they were that that were simple enough that you could provide with a huge public health impact and reproductive health impact. So I was very interested on, on the provision of vasectomies for, for, for that very same reason. But uh, being in the East Coast was a little, let's say, malignant for me to try to get that kind of training in vasectomies because there was always this thing of, oh, you, you must be, and that happens in this country. You must be a urologist to be able to do that. Well, no, I need to know the anatomy and I need to acquire the proper skills to do the procedure adequately. So during residency, I tried to get that training and it didn't happen.
0: Doctor, let me just ask you. So why vasectomy? like, I, I understand that you were interested in reproductive health, but you know, there's a lot of people who have particular interests. You know, my uncle, for example, became really interested in uh, foot and ankles and that became like his thing. He was a foot and ankle surgeon. He's now retired, but that was like his thing, just foot and ankles. You thought, mm-hmm. you know, I want to sterilize men. <laughs> why? why? Why was
1: that the thing well, that you wanted to do? Well, that's the thing. So it, it, it initially it was it was having that as part of what I was doing. You know, I was able to do, eventually after my fellowship in maternal and child health, I was able to do tubal ligations. I was placing IUDs. I was placing implants. And, and it, was, it was nice to have that because it was a very simple procedure with a huge impact, as I said earlier. But after I, I was full-on practicing on my own and I was delivering, you know, 90 to 100 babies a year and i got to see the difficulties that women go through that that urge to do more vasectomies to include men more into that contraceptive equation it became a, a very important part of what i was doing so seeing the difficulties that women go through uh, by just taking simple oral contraceptives by using an iud by having to deal with an implant, by having to deal with a pregnancy and giving birth, and yet we are there as men only, having fun making the babies and not participating anymore, was kind of upsetting. It was kind of frustrating to me. And, and I was, and, and again, I was interested on, on, on the idea of doing these vasectomies for quite some time. I have to tell you this, and I had mentioned this before elsewhere. The very first time I heard the word vasectomy, it was, I was probably about 10 years old, 11 years old, and my mother demanded that from my dad. And when I saw the expression on my, fa- on my dad's face and the way he reacted about that demand, because she was pretty open about that demand, I realized at that tender age that that word bear- uh, was, was having a, a, a huge weight and a real big impact, uh, on, on men and in general. And I wanted to know that. So I understood obviously what it was when I was in medical school. And later on, I, I realized that it it would have a a tremendous impact on trying to balance that, uh, that relationship between men and women in terms of contraception, uh, contraceptive decisions and reproductive uh, health in general. So I, 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 I guess I had, uh, since a very early age, this curiosity about what the vasectomy was. And eventually, you know, I realized the, 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 the huge impact and the applicability that a vasectomy had. And, and having that experience with women, you know, seeing what they went through was, was extremely, extremely uh, important for me to make that decision of moving on to just doing it. But it was difficult to, for me to leave everything that I was doing before right cuz i was doing a lot of maternal and child health and then i dropped everything just to do vasectomies right i mean
0: you could almost say it was a whole new ball game for you sorry i could not uh, i could not resist um all right so you yeah. Yes, thank you. So you want to get into this whole new ball game of just doing vasectomies, but I just want to chat for a second about this disparity between men and women, and um, the issue of you know who is responsible for contraception. Because we, you know we've done a past episode on this on male contraceptives. Basically, there's condoms and there's vasectomy. There's not a lot else out there for men, whereas women have a, a multitude of options, many of which you just named, but all of them are pretty um, have you know substantial potential side effects. Um, it's not that they're bad. It's not that you shouldn't do them. But, you know, taking the pill um, is, you know, does have some effects. And uh, so the question is, how can men be more involved in prevention of unintended pregnancies? And I think for a long time, a lot of people have thought of a vasectomy, like your father, as this invasive surgery something that might come from an arsenal of weapons (laughs) that is going to have all types of deleterious effects. It's going to be painful. It's going to cause all these problems for you. Um, But you are uh, maybe the country's leading evangelical for vasectomies. And so just do us a favor here, Doc, and just dispel some of these myths. So you're doing vasectomies that don't even have a scalpel. You don't even use a scalpel. It takes mere minutes to do. So tell us, like, what are you doing? And why would somebody who doesn't want kids
1: not want to do it. Well, let me let me answer that in in two in two parts. The first part is you were talking about the disparity that exists, and, and I think that needs to be highlighted because it, it is true that we only have two uh, contraceptive methods that are currently effective that we as men can can use, and it's condoms and vasectomies. Um, the, the disparity that I'm talking about is not just about the fact that we only have two methods; is the fact that I I focus specifically on on the issue that when the time comes for a permanent decision, men are not stepping up to the plate as much as women do. And then let me put it in perspective. When we look at the numbers, according to the United Nations during 2019, the number of vasectomies that were performed around the world based on, on, on survey data was approximately 16 to 17 million in the entire world. By comparison, that's nothing when you see the number of tubal ligations. We're talking about 219 million tubal ligations during the same year. Wow, so, well, so is, almo- I mean, almost a 10 to 1 ratio. That is correct. What that's telling you is that the participation of men when it comes to a permanent decision is, is, is not even a tenth of what, what the, uh, women are doing. Uh, we are not advocating necessarily for more. Uh, meant to be sterilized just for the sake of sterilization, right? Let's just, for a moment, just wow. for a moment, let's set aside that, yes, it is too many of us on the face of the earth with 7.8 billion people. Let's let's just assume that that's not an issue, but it is. But let's assume that... That's, that's, a, big assu- that's a big
0: assumption, but okay, for the sake of this next few minutes, we'll assume that. Yeah.
1: No, but just for, for just 20 seconds, we're going to assume that that's not an issue. If we look at, at the fact that there are approximately... Uh, 230, 235 million sterilizations, right? In general, including vasectomies and tubal ligations, we are not advocating, I personally am not advocating for increasing the number of sterilizations overall, right? We need to think about how many of us are on the face of the earth. That's fine. But I'm not advocating necessarily for just more sterilizations. What I'm advocating for is more male sterilizations when the decision is made for no more children, at the expense of reducing the number of tubal ligations, so we could say that instead of having 230 give or take million sterilizations per year with only 16 million uh, uh, vasectomies, we can have you know 150 million vasectomies and 150 million tubal ligations. It's just balancing that equation a little bit more to for men to show that we can actually be part of. of of that contraceptive definitive decision when the time comes to making it. The the modern methods of contraception have been wonderful, and they have been the reason in many places for a decrease in the use of certain methods of, of permanent contraception. In Nepal, for example, which back in the 70s, contraception with a vasectomy was extremely popular, it went down. The use of vasectomies went down considerably once the modern methods of contraception were introduced, and we're talking about an, an intrauterine device, the implants, the pills, the injections, because there were more. There was they started using them more, and then there was no need for that. But when you look specifically just at the numbers of sterilizations. It turns out sterilizations in women are, have not decreased. You know, you could argue that women have been using more, have been, have been taking more uh, ownership on the, uh, the control of their, of their fertility by using these this methods of, of, of modern contraception. But what it seems to me is that men, little by little, have been, have been getting out of the whole discussion. Is it the medical yeah. establishment telling us, oh, that's not your thing to do? It has to be the woman, or is it as using that as an excuse not to be part of it? I don't know. Isn't
0: there isn't there a big difference, though, in that ratio between vasectomy and tubal ligation between the United States and Canada?
1: It is. In fact, in the United States, the ratio is about one to two to three. That is one vasectomy. When, when there's a vasectomy done, there are about two to three tubal ligations done in the United States. In Canada and in, in, in other countries like uh, the UK and Australia, the, the relationship could be actually the opposite. In Canada, for example, for every tubal ligation, there are two vasectomies done. And if you go a little bit more specific, in, in, for example, in Quebec City in Canada, the ratio is about one tubal ligation per every five vasectomies or so. Um, fascinating. So if you're looking at this as the UK, Canada, Australia, I mean, Canada and
0: Australia never rebelled against the UK and had a revolution, whereas the US did. We went on our own path. And <laughs> part of that path, I guess, was uh, favoring tubules as opposed to vasectomies. But let's get in here, doctor, to chatting about what this is, because you know yes. a lot of people they you know they hear a vasectomy and they think you're going to cut their balls off um so you know they say oh isn't that what we do to dogs and cats you know when we uh when we um spay and neuter them when we neuter them that's a vasectomy but that's not a vasectomy right so what is it
1: and briefly and how do you do it that is different from what's been done in the past the 22nd the explanation of a vasectomy is this the testicle produces sperm it produces testosterone the production of testosterone, which is the you know the male hormone, goes through a different channel, going through the blood vessels. The production of sperm goes out of the testicle through a tiny little tube called the vas deferens, and it ends up communicating with the urethra, which is that tiny pipe that brings everything out—you know, the urine and the semen out. So the vasectomy is nothing but cutting that tube and disrupting the communication between the testicle and everything else. So if, not, it's not going. So it's not going to interrupt testosterone production.
0: That's and, it, and the volume of semen that is still coming out is the same. It's just virtually not different. having, there's, it's just not right. having sperm in the semen.
1: Correct. So virtually the same, because you have to remember, Paul, that uh, 95% of what comes out in an ejaculation, 95% of that liquid that comes out, comes from the prostate and the seminal vesicles, which basically are there to nourish and support the sperm that is coming from the testicles. Only 5%, of that semen uh, in the ejaculation is coming from the testicles, so virtually there is no difference in the amount. And you have to remember that every ejaculation is about 2.5 to 5 cc's uh, overall in general, so it's, it's nothing that you see of a difference. So just to
0: be clear, you're not cutting the balls off, no. the testosterone is the same. The ejaculate is essentially the same. You won't have any hormonal differences. The only thing is that your semen will not have sperm, so you cannot impregnate somebody. Well, now, and you're talking about
1: something else, and, and forgive me for interrupting you, but I think this is extremely important because it, because in the collective mind of men, deep in, deep in the back of the collective mind of men, uh, there's this hidden fear. It doesn't matter how much we read about vasectomies and how much we learn about them, that things might not work the same. So I need to highlight the fact that erections are not going to be affected either. So no problems with testosterone. The only way for me to affect the testosterone is ripping out the testicle out of your scrotal sac, and that's not going to happen. And there's no way that the, 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 there's going to be an effect on, on erections because we don't affect the blood vessels feeding the, the penis when it gets erected. So there's no uh, effect on that either. Okay, got it.
0: Now, in the past, you had to cut the scrotum open to get to the vas deferens, and that's what they were doing, but you don't even do that. Tell us, what are you doing, and what is becoming more and more commonplace for vasectomies now?
1: Well, this is the sad part of that, Paul, because uh, this technique of no, no scalpel technique is a technique that was invented in the late 70s by Dr. Li Shikuan, who is a, a urologist back in China. He came up with this brilliant idea of sharpening sharpening a a forceps, which is kind of like a clamp uh, that was blunt in sharpening it enough that man, you we, it.
0: we 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 need a better word than clamp here because no man wants a clamp on their scrotum, the right? But oh, what, what's I, better?
1: I'm <laughs> trying. I'm trying to to, to think of an <laughs> instrument. Yeah, uh, so, so, is, yeah. So it's, like sounds, it, it's like a massage. It's <laughs> like a massage. Let's just say it's like a massage. And this is imagine imagine is 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 like well it, i i can't think of any word better because if i use the word pliers it's probably not going to make anybody relaxed uh, but <laughs> yeah that sounds fun <laughs> this instrument actually it is very sharp and pointy so by by doing that you actually uh, penetrate the skin like a needle, imagine how a needle gets into your body, you you put a needle in your arm. And then when you take it out, the skin kind of closes on its own, you might drip a tiny little drop of blood, but the the skin actually closes. And that's because when you're entering the skin with the needle, the trauma that happens onto the skin is very minimal, right? It's a kind of a progressive trauma. Whereas when you use a, a, a scalpel, you have to disrupt the skin, you have to cut it, and in a classical approach uh, of, for a vasectomy, you actually make two incisions, one in each side, because we have two vas deferens, and, and then you perform the procedure, and then you have to close that, because when you break the skin like that, when you cut the skin, you have to put it together, which means you have to thread a, a needle through the skin and put a stitch. Doing that increases more trauma. So Dr. Li Shiquan thought, well, what if we just penetrate the skin as if it were a needle? right? And then spread the skin. By spreading the skin, you don't break anything. You just spread the fibers of the skin and use that opening, one single opening, to get each one of the vas friends there and perform the, the vasectomy and then send it back in. It is so tiny, the incision, we're talking about 10 millimeters, less than 10 millimeters, which is less than half an inch, that if you hold pressure, 30 to 60 seconds afterwards, you don't even need to put any skin glue or sutures to close the wound. So the trauma is less. And we don't, and we know that for a fact because many have looked at the evidence. And, for example, one of the uh, dreaded complications of a vasectomy is the collection of blood in, in, in this scrotum. It's called a hematoma. If you do a classic uh, classical intervention with a scalpel and put in sutures, the chances, even in the hands of an experienced surgeon, could be up to 3% of having that. When you do a non-scalpel technique, the chances go below 1%, which is great. And so it's
0: still, it's a pretty minuscule percentage, no matter what. You have a 97 to 99% chance Absolutely. of no hematoma. Absolutely. But how long does it take for you to do this? So if yeah. some guy comes up to you and says, hey, Dr. Guardian, I don't want any more kids, or I don't want any kids... How long is it going to take you from the time he walks in
1: to the time you're done? Well, the, the actual pursuit takes ten minutes. That's okay. All ten right. minutes. So- but I, I, I personally spend about thirty minutes with the patient uh, uh, because I like to. Uh, well, you know, when you when you are given the privilege. Uh, of grabbing the scrotum of someone with sharp instruments, you you ought to take that, you know, with all the seriousness you you can. And and you have to take your time to talk the patient through the whole process. You know, uh, you have to remember, Paul, that this is all I'm doing now. So all these patients come to see me once and once only. I really don't want them to come back because if they come back, that means there's a problem. Or if they come back, that means that it didn't work. So I need to make sure that it is, I guess, I don't know if I can use this word, but that the whole experience is unforgettable in a good way. So (laughs) so I give him 30 minutes, you know, even though I could do the whole thing faster, I give him 30 minutes, I stay there, talk with them, and then I prep him and do the procedure in 10 minutes. And then the rest of the time is just chatting. But it, it, it totally takes. Right. All right. So 10 minutes. Um, you don't even
0: have to inject any type of pain relief, right? It's just like a topical spray. Isn't that right? No,
1: no not, it's not a topical spray. Uh, actually, what we do, uh, we we use a pressure spray device applicator. I use that. I mean, you can use a, a needle as well for the administration of the of the anesthetic. And in fact, a, a very good friend of mine, Dr. Michelle Lebrecht from Quebec and Canada, uses a, what he calls the mini needle technique, which is a super thin needle, about a 30 gauge needle, which is thin, as thin as those used for insulin administration. That is almost imperceptible for the patient when you use the needle and, and provide the anesthetic. What I use is a, is a pressure spray device applicator uh, that uh, pushes the anesthetic at a very high pressure, close to 1200 PSI. You can imagine how hard that is through a very narrow stream of fluid. And it's so thin and so much pressure that it pierces the skin down to a depth of about six millimeters. And the vast difference is right under the skin. So it hits the vast difference and it numbs the vast difference right away. So
0: I see. So you're not injecting a needle. You're basically just forcing the, uh, the liquid in there.
1: Okay. The um,
0: okay. Got it. So let me ask you then, like, How did you decide to go from being a doctor who's just performing vasectomies to becoming an evangelical? Because you've created the country's first ever mobile vasectomy clinic, where you're driving around just encouraging people on a whim to come up and get a vasectomy. Uh, So what happened? Like, How did you go from being a doctor who does vasectomies to being the face of the vasectomy movement?
1: Well, one of the criticisms that I had regarding uh, the performance of vasectomies was doing vasectomies kind of like on the side as part of what you were doing as a, as a doctor and in uh, taking care of pregnancies, pregnancies are very demanding. They it's not that a pa- pregnant patient will wait for me. It's like, I need you now. And, and, and I don't care what you're doing. Come cause my baby's going to deliver. So I, 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 was, you know, on the go all the time with these patients, but I really wanted to provide the service. And it was the experiences that I was having with my pregnant patients, seeing the difficulties and, uh, and and there was a particular time over the course of two years that I delivered five preg- five different women pregnant by the same guy that really got me thinking about all this. Uh, it was I mean it, it was so bizarre that I I don't think I anybody could have written this this whole experience of the two years with this five women. You know, initially they all hated each other because you know you took him away from me. Oh, he's with me now. And I had to hear that because I, I'm the kind of guy who talks a lot with the patients, So I knew all this stuff that was happening. And, 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 and eventually they all became friends because they all hated this individual because he left them. Uh, and, and, and I had had the opportunity to engage with this gentleman at a certain point for a a minuscule thing like a sore throat or something. So I I actually had developed a relationship with him. So I approached him. I took advantage of that relationship and approached him and I said, "Look, I couldn't have been any more blunt with this 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 person." And I said, "You you need to you need to you know consider your options. Let me give you a vasectomy." And uh, and, and opposite to what I thought was going to happen, because I really thought he was going to say something like, oh, man, don't do that. It's not my thing. He was very nice, and, but he said no. And I inquired a couple of times a, a, about why, and he wouldn't answer. And, and obviously, I understood. I could not push that. It's not it's not my place to do that. But I felt that it was the, one of my biggest failures. I I, I I saw that that was not fair for the women, that was not even fair for the guy, not that he was paying child support anyways, but it it got me thinking about what the barriers were that were limiting men from making a decision that when rationally you think about it, seems like a no brainer, right? You know, it's 10 minutes, I go to a doctor, 10 10 minutes, I get it under local anesthesia, uh, anesthesia, it really doesn't hurt. You know, it's better than for a woman to go and get a tubal ligation. It, but men still don't do it. So I started thinking about the barriers. And, and there's a really good book called The Human Element by, by Lauren Norgren uh, from, I think it's Northwestern University and the administration, uh, the business administration department uh, that talks about frictions, you know, and, and I started thinking about the frictions that men face when they have to make decisions or they want to make decisions in terms of contraception. And particularly with vasectomy, I realized that there were frictions. You know, I know those of my species, I know those of my gender, and 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 I know that for something so intimate, you don't want to talk to a to a to, to a receptionist. You you want to talk to the person who can give you the answers. You don't want to go to a doctor and and get you know a an evaluation for five ten minutes, and then told being told that you have to come back in a month for the procedure, and probably a month later when the procedure will be done, they tell you, oh, the doctor has to cancel because he has a more important surgery to do, which is fine. But then it delays everything. When when a man says, I'm going to get a vasectomy, he wants to get it done, period. It's not that a man wakes up one morning and says, hmm, I think I want to get snipped," and then he gets it done. No, he's been thinking about it. And then so, so you want to reduce any barriers. So Thinking about those barriers, I I came up with this idea of of making a whole model that was going to make things as simple as possible for the individual to make that decision. So that at the end of the day, there is no excuse for someone to not get a vasectomy. And and if the patient doesn't want to have the vasectomy, which is totally fine, it's just because he doesn't want to get it done. Not because there are barriers, not because it is too expensive, not because I have to talk to... 2 3 people before I talk to the doctor not because I have to wait 2 months to get the vasectomy done not because I have to you know bring a sample within 45 minutes to a to an office after I have gotten the vasectomy all those barriers need to be taken away and also it, it was important for me to provide adequate evidence based information and bring so to speak out of the closet the whole discussion of vasectomies i think that women because of what they have to go through with visits to the gynecologist often and and, and, and allowing somebody to, to to a certain extent, violate their intimate space by letting them use a speculum and placing instruments down in the genital area, they are more open to have discussions about this. And the example is this, Paul, if you have a woman who gets an IUD and 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 probably she has a good experience with one of these IUDs with, with with progesterone that gives them very little bleeding. They will talk about it. You know, they get together and then they are with their friends and they say, oh my gosh, I got my IUD and I am so happy I haven't had a bleed for three months. And they talk about that openly. And then the conversation goes on onto other things. Men don't do that. We don't talk about it. And the reason is because of that Deep fear that we have uh, about that vulnerability uh, that, that we feel we are gonna have if we let anybody know about it because they're gonna think that things are not working the same for me. And and to me, those barriers and, and those fears needed to be needed to be addressed. So I changed the way uh, the, the the vasectomy, at least in, in the clinic that I ended up developing. The the way the patient could access the procedure, so I made it as simple as possible and a smooth process. And I said, I need to talk more about this. I need to I need to bring it out of the closet, as I said earlier. We need to normalize the discussion of vasectomies, and uh, from the experience that we had had in, in in Mexico and Indonesia, from what you see in the literature in Nepal, we're using. Uh, mobile units increases the uptake of reproductive services, I said, we have better roads. Clearly, they need some, some work, but they're better roads than in any of those countries I, I just mentioned. Why don't we use a mobile unit? Why don't we use a mobile unit to go around just raising eyebrows every time they see the mobile unit and actually doing the procedure in the mobile unit to convey the message of the simplicity of the procedure. So we basically, I, I built from the ground up, you know, finally my wife uh, bought into that because I had been toying around with the idea since we went to Mexico with World Vasectomy Day for three years. And, and she bought into that and she said, all right, let's just do it because she knew it was going to be a waste of money in, in the sense that it was not going to, the, the return of investment was going to be terrible. But it was, it was part of that activism. It was part of what was driving me, you know. To, to talk about more about this. So we built it, we, there is, you'd be surprised, Paul, there is no regulation about how to build one of these things. And they- <laughs> You're getting out in, in front of the regulators, I think here. I don't <laughs> think they have, they've uh, foreseen what you would I mean, be building. I was but... going to say something. I mean, because I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary in there. If, I, if I'm going to do x-rays, there is clear regulation on that. If I'm doing mm-hmm. dental procedures and I need a dental equipment, I need uh, that are regulations specific for that. But basically, the, the, one of the reasons why there's no regulation on that is, is because it's an office. It's an office on wheels. Basically, that's what it is. Mm. Because a vasectomy should be done in an office setting. So we, we, we designed it, I, I found this company that was willing to work with me, and, and, and we put it together. You know, it has a room with a sink, it has a waiting area which is not used as the waiting area because I don't have people waiting in there. They just come in, get the procedure and they leave. And, they, and there's a restroom in there. And I drive around. Is, is it still, is it still one patient
0: per 30 minutes or yeah. is it faster than no, that? No, it's one okay. patient per 30 yeah. minutes
1: because to me is the experience yeah. of the patient. And so you
0: mentioned that the ROI is poor. So somebody comes in, they say, okay, I'm ready to get snipped. What do I owe?
1: What are they going to pay you? Oh, we charge. Um, I normally charge in the office $699. $699. Okay, $600, $699. And so but is- in the mobile unit, we charge $100 less, which sound may sound counterintuitive, right? Because it's like, hold on a second. You're going to the people. You're, you're just taking the, the, the service to their place. Why are you charging mm-hmm. less? Because yeah. you have to show that it's, it, in part is, 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 uh, it's a joint venture with World Vasectomy Day, although I say joint venture, but they put a lot of uh, emotional capital, <laughs> <at> <laughs> financial capital. Uh, but it's, it's a way to show that, you know, this is accessible not only because I'm bringing it to you, but also because it's, it's even cheaper. It's $100 cheaper. Right.
0: So are you making money per vasectomy or are you offering the service for less than what it costs you? No, I do. I do. I, I do. make. Money. Okay. So it's, okay. So it's still, so there's still a some profit margin,
1: uh, yeah. thankfully for you that
0: it's, it's not, you're not, you're not
1: conducting a charity here. No, 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 not necessarily. I mean, I have to pay the bills, you know, and, and <laughs> yes. I, I, I have to pay the bills. I, I just, uh, even if it were a nonprofit, I, sometimes I think that people have the wrong idea about nonprofits. They think that, uh, Nonprofits are not are not designed to make money, right? Nonprofits are designed to yeah. be designed to make money, not to give it back yes, to, yeah. to the investors, not to give it back to a board of, of 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 people who own the company, but just to invest it again into the into the nonprofit. Well, in my case, you know, I have to pay the bills, and and five percent of every single vasectomy we do. Whether it's paid by insurance or it's paid by the uh, it's paid out of pocket, five percent of that goes to World Vasectomy Day, which is a nonprofit that I work with that we that I travel with around the world teaching how to do vasectomies and doing vasectomies for free.
0: So. Uh, so just to be clear for people who haven't heard of World Vasectomy Day it began as a uh you know a one day out of the year but now it's really a year round movement right there's no i mean it's in november but it's it's really world vasectomy day is really just vasectomy awareness throughout the year right correct
1: correct so it's actually this is our 10th uh year uh, uh doing this okay. it all started with uh Jonathan Stack Jonathan Stack is a is an accomplished filmmaker uh documentarist and uh, he started uh, as many stories uh, with filmmakers uh, trying to document his own vasectomy. And he uh, met uh, the person who was, who's been my mentor, the person I learned vasectomies from was uh, Dr. Douglas Stein, a uh, vasectomist in Tampa, Florida, uh, who was part of a, another organization called non scalpel Vasectomy International. And he just saw what he was doing and stuck with him uh, for a year or two and, and, and realized that Vasectomies have a huge impact not not only from the reproductive standpoint but socially as well. And um you know Jonathan was doing a bunch of documentaries on 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 bad things as he describes it, bad things that men do. You know, he he would be in war zones, jails all over the world. He he has done uh, several documentaries in Angola prison in Louisiana. And and it was always showing, you know, what happens when men do bad things. And when he started traveling with with uh, Doug Stein, um, he began to ask every single man who was getting a vasectomy a simple question. Why? Why are you doing this? And he saw that behind every single one of these guys, there was a manifestation, an expression of love towards somebody or towards something when they were making that decision. Oh, I'm doing it because You know, my wife has had enough, you know, we've had seven children and and, and she's had complications with the pregnancies. Well, it's an expression of love towards his wife. Oh, I'm doing it because I have five children already and and this is all I can support or I I can barely support them. Well, it's an expression of love towards his family because he wants to be able to allocate his resources in a better way. Or you have this gentleman who comes in and has no children whatsoever, and and he says, you know what, I I think it's too many of us on the face of the earth. I I just don't want to have children of my own. And if I change my mind, I would adopt a child. Well, that's an expression of love towards himself and towards the environment. So it was like a huge eye-opener for him. And and then he started documenting all these experiences with people, and, and they came up with the idea of doing a major event in Adelaide, Australia. 10 years ago, uh, which was the very, very first World Vasectomy Day. And um, they, they televised vasectomies, you know, real time, showing the procedures. Uh, people obviously were given their consents, and, and, and he thought it was a good idea to, uh, to get the domain. And the domain was org, And it became a second event, a third event. And now we're going to celebrate our 10th uh, anniversary mm-hmm. this year. Amazing. So let me ask you first do you have any children of your own? I do. I do. I have two children. Yeah. I have a 15 year old who has been a, a wonderful adolescent so far. And I have an 11 year old who thinks is 20. <laughs> okay. And are you vasectomized? <laughs> I did. I did have my vasectomy. In fact, I did my own vasectomy. Uh, I think. What? I think about six years ago I did. I know, no. You performed your own vasectomy. Yes, yes. and I, w- I, I I cannot take pride on, on on saying that I'm the only one who's done it. I know of of a good number of people who've done it. Uh, oh, I, and I did it. I mean, but you
0: you hear about like how doctors aren't supposed to perform on immediate family members of theirs because you know there could be like emotionally att- attached that could lead to some bad outcome. Doing your own
1: vasectomy, tell me why? Well. I, I I wanted to put myself through that. I had this this thing that every time I was seeing a uh, a patient, I uh, was performing a vasectomy. On um, some of them would would say, "Hey, doc, have you have you had your vasectomy?" And I'd be like, "No, not not yet." And and, and there was this this I guess disappointment on the on on, on behalf of the patient. And it's like, oh, okay. You haven't gotten it. So it's like, you're doing this to me. You're telling me you do a ton of these and you don't know what this is. Yeah. And I and have like, that, do as I say, not as I, do. Like, and I <laughs> you're like, do, do. And I have had that experience <laughs> delivering babies with women because it is very difficult to show your true empathy to a woman who's trying to push a human being out of her body. And, and, when you're a guy, when you're a man in front of her and you're saying, come on, you can do this. I know you can do it. Because they look at you like, like you're a total idiot, and they're right, right? And the only way for me to show that I really understood what they were going through would, would be to acknowledge that. And I would tell the woman, I know what you're thinking, that I'm a total idiot, and you're right. I don't know what this is. I, don't, I will never be in this situation, and I'm so happy I don't have to go through this because it really takes a woman to deliver a child. But I've seen many of you doing this, and I know you're designed to do this, and you can do it. And then it would just make them understand that I really was meaning what I was telling them. But when it comes to a vasectomy, actually, I happen to have the same equipment, you know, than the gentleman who's there in my exam table. Why wouldn't I just put myself through that too? Besides, to me, it was, it was, I don't know, it seemed like a testament to the simplicity of the procedure. I'm not advocating for people who do Vasectomies to do their own by any means, and I'm not absolutely to anybody can <laughs> get it to a, yourself. Do not to do yeah, it at home. You're not going to have a. Do not try this at home. <laughs> That's right. That, that that should be a disclosure here. Do not try uh, to, okay. to do this at home. Uh, but but it, I don't know. It seems like it was it was uh, it was a way to show the simplicity of that. It's like what I do with the mobile <laughs> clinics. Like I, I can show with the mobile clinic that the mobility of the vasectomy is, is so great that you can even do it on a, on a unit that goes from place to place. So I did it. It sounds so lame when I tell the story, because I, at the end of the day, it was a Friday night. I finished my clinic and I called my wife and I said, honey, I want to get my vasectomy done. I'm going to do it tonight. And it sounds super. And so the, because- right, this
0: was after this, this was after four drinks, I presume. No,
1: no, not at all. I was totally sober. <laughs> It may sound like it I was not. But it's super sad because people would think, well, this poor guy, he's so sad that he doesn't have anything better to do on a Friday night other than sterilizing himself. So, and and I did it. Uh, My wife was there, actually, because I called her and I said, look, I need you here in case I need to do something. I set up two trays with double the number of instruments in case I drop one. And, and, And it was just, it took me like five more minutes, but it was, it was. It was actually surreal when I think about that. But th- the point here is not necessarily the fact that I did my vasectomy. You know? some people, I-, I think some that is the point, actually. It. I'm intrigued by the story. <laughs> some people don't like uh, me telling the story of that, but I think I, I insist on telling it just because I think it-, it-, it conveys that message of simplicity of the procedure. The point at the end is that you know the procedure is that. It's that simple you know, compared to the alternative, which would be a tubal ligation. I'm not here saying... My gynecology colleagues are butchering women. No, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. That, you know, a tubal, ligation, a, a tubal ligation is kind of like a bread and butter type of procedure for a, a surgeon, a gynecological surgeon. But we cannot underestimate the risks of general anesthesia. The fact that a woman has gone through so much already, and, and the fact that the alternative is way faster, way safer, and way cheaper than tubal ligation is.
0: So let me ask you this doc you're running around in this mobile clinic you're driving around anybody who wants to come up who has like uh, 500 bucks or so can can get vasectomized by you do you ever turn anybody away like if a 19 year old comes up to you and says i want to get vasectomized and i don't have any kids or you know is there anybody who you just say hey listen come back at some other time
1: h is not necessarily h is not necessarily an issue for me to turn someone away uh, age itself, it is demands from me spending more time with this individual before. So if somebody knocks on the door of the mobile unit and says, I want to get my vasectomy done, and we're talking about a 19-year-old, I probably wouldn't do the vasectomy right on the spot. Uh, I probably would have a long conversation with that person. not because I, my, Not because my interest is to make them change their mind. I think that in reproduction, we have to be very careful with that. Because we owe to respect the decision that somebody makes in terms of their fertility, but I I have a responsibility which is putting things in perspective for that individual. Right, a nineteen year old it's it's a little it's a little uh, um, it, it, we feel as the surgeon a huge responsibility, but this feeling that responsibility doesn't mean I I put. On top of that responsibility, my personal bias. I have to respect what the individual wants to do, but I want to make sure that I have adequate feedback on the potential uh, of regret in the future. So I probably mm-hmm. not do like, that right away.
0: Yeah, I mean, what, what if a nineteen-year-old goes to a tattoo artist and says, "I, I want to get some, you know, big tattoo on my back"? <laughs> like, are they, they going to turn them
1: away? I don't think that, so. I agree. I a hundred percent agree with you. What I was, what I mean with what I said is that usually because I've, I've had twenty three year old twenty four years old uh, uh, people uh, men with no children who come to my office but the process is a little different because they have signed up online you know they have come they, they have I have had a conversation with them over the phone where I actually put things in perspective and then they, they come for their procedure right but if I if I they knock on the door right away and they want me to do it on the spot and if I, I guess if I have the conversation with them at the, at the time and the feedback is, is adequate and you'd be surprised about the deep conversations I I have had with some of these very young men about their fertility, then, and I get convinced right away, I probably would do it. You know, my, my, my gut reflex initially is like, probably I would ask him to look at the consent and all that because they have to sign that consent and then, you know, he can come back and get it done not because I want him to think more about his decision, but I want him to see the, 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 the prospect of what comes forward. One of those, mm. one of those conversations that, that, that were super deep that happened precisely in Mexico, Mexico during World Bus Ectomy Day. I had, I had a gentleman who came, a, a 23-year-old, finished, finished his, his university. Uh, he was a graphic designer, single child, no children. Uh, the Mexican authorities had set up a, a, a had this setup that included a social worker, a GP, and then the surgeon. So the the person and there were these were people coming off the street, you know, they went through that process. And he comes to me, so I looked at all the information. He's no children, I said, all right, well, you understand that this is a permanent decision. You know, moving forward, there's an increased risk of regret. I don't I'm not saying that you will regret it, but I'm saying that statistically there's a higher chance that you could regret it. You might not. Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, I understand that." And I said, "Well, all right, we'll do it because it seems like you've talked to a lot of people, and and I have to respect that. I think it's 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 a matter of, of pure respect for your decision. But let me just remind you that a vasectomy is a permanent decision. And this guy is, doc, is that true? Let me let me finish this, Paul, because this is part yeah. of that he grabs my arm, looks at me in the eye, and he said, "I understand that, doc, but it turns out having children is also a permanent decision." and it cannot be deeper than that he's absolutely right you can have children and you could be an awful parent you may not pay child support you never see your child you're not a role model for your child but it doesn't make the child disappear the child is going to be there so why do we i don't know question so much making the decision of uh, when somebody wants to make the decision of of not having children but we don't question that Decision that many make of having children and, and turning into awful parents. And what you said is absolutely true, too. You know, you, you have a 17-year-old go to an army recruitment uh, office and, and they don't tell him, hey, are you sure you want to join the army? No, they say, well, sure, sign here. And, 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 and that's a very consequential decision in the life of someone. You know, at a tender age, even before they are adults. And some people, you know, say, well, a 19 year old should I've never do a, a vasectomy on somebody like that or or 25 year old. I, I had a guy who was 35 and had been trying to get a vasectomy for eight years and didn't give him the vasectomy because he was too young and didn't have any children. That's disrespectful. Anyways.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's pretty outrageous. It's very paternalistic uh, to to deny mm-hmm. uh, what an adult wants to do, even if you think that it's a bad idea. This is why I say, like, a tattoo artist generally probably won't turn down a young person who wants to get a, t- a tattoo, despite the fact that that too is a permanent decision. But I want to ask you a uh, doctor, because you've said a couple of times, this is a permanent decision. I actually saw not that long ago, a billboard where I was driving and it said vasectomy reversals. And it said, call this number. And I thought, you know, that is amazing that somebody makes such a living out of vasectomy reversals. Like how many people even have vasectomies, then let alone regret it and want a reversal that they're going to, this billboard could have like a good return on on their investment for them. But obviously, somebody's doing vasectomy reversal. Yeah. So how permanent of a decision is this?
1: Well, it, when you do a vasectomy, you have to assume that it's a permanent decision. Yes, the reverser, reversals are possible. And, and there are microsurgical techniques that make it, make it to an extent easier, you know, in the hands of an experienced surgeon. But it has to be assumed as permanent. Because when we're talking about the, the effectiveness or the success of a reversal, you have to look at two different numbers. You know, because we're talking about success of sperm being back into the semen, but that does not translate into the success of having a pregnancy, right? You can do a reversal and you can claim an 85% success rate of having sperm into the semen again, but does it translate into an 85% chance of having a pregnancy? It usually does not. You know, so so people need to understand that it's a big gamble because uh, reversals could be upwards of you know uh, the lowest range could be probably five thousand dollars if you can get that but in many places for example in california i don't think you will find anything less than ten thousand dollars cash you know same thing happens on the other coast uh so it's a very expensive procedure with a a considerable margin of failure so Mm -hmm. you have to make that decision of getting a recession knowing that you know you have you have alternatives. If somebody if somebody says, "Well, what if I change my mind?" But I'm really set on making that decision now. An alternative could be just sperm storage, right? You can freeze mm-hmm. sperm and keep it and pay for the for the stor- for the storage of the sperm for years, you know. And you get your yeah. selection. You can discard that later if you just definitely realize that you never change your mind. Yeah. So, right.
0: You could also just
1: adopt kids. kids. I mean,
0: I agree yeah. with you. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of people on the planet and there's a lot of kids who need home. So it's not that bad of an idea. Maybe just to raise an un, uh, a, a kid who has no family, Correct. you know, it's so not it, that bad of a, that not is, that bad of a thing. That to be is what
1: doing. I, that is what I hear from, from, from many of these patients. Um, but as I said earlier, my job is to put all those things in perspective and say, Hey, these are the alternatives. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but these are the things that you should look at as a possibility in the case of yeah. a future regret. I would hate for, yeah. for a patient like that to, to, I don't know, 10 years down the road, if for some reason he changes his mind, I would hate for that person to say, you know what? I went to this, this, this doctor and, and he didn't even ask, ask me questions. He just did my vasectomy, Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would love for him to say, you know what, I went to this doctor, he said, this is, this is what happened, it could happen in the future if I changed my mind. And we had that conversation, and he was very respectful of my decision, and I went ahead and did it. Now I changed my mind. Yeah. But in retrospect, I love the fact that he put things in perspective for me and respected my decision, right? How, how many vasectomies have you now done, doc? Uh, let's see. I was doing, uh, when I was busy, busy with my obstetric practice, I was doing about, and I was delivering about 100 babies a year. I was doing about 250 per year, which, uh, by, mm-hmm. by, by the standards that I will, I would love to live by, uh, was not, that was not enough. Uh, I've been doing about 400 a year now. Uh, wow. But, but, you know, if, if you hang out with the people I hang out with, you know, we're talking about people who, on an average, do 1,000 a year. <laughs> wow. Talk about amazing. Michelle amazing. Does about 1,500 a year. Doc Stein does about 2,500 a year. But they live in different places, right? You know, Doc Stein lives in Florida. 22 million people in Florida. You know, I live in, 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 in Iowa, 3.3 3 million people, right? It's it's, it's a different, it's a different mm-hmm.
0: mindset. Yeah. You, you need to be doing uh, more of these mobile coinex in Latin America. That'll be your. Uh, that'll be the way that you get your numbers up. I yeah, guess
1: we we actually w- go to Latin America. I've been in Colombia. We've been in Bolivia, Ecuador.
0: Oh, I know. you, know, you mentioned you mentioned
1: Mexico, which is why I was alluding to yeah, this. Mex- you said that you were doing. You said you're doing them for free. Mexicans are fantastic doing this. <laughs> the problem is in Mexico uh, that they're doing too many two allegations. The relationship still, it's about 1 to 10. So, the one vasectomy per 10 tubal ligations. And, and they're doing a lot of vasectomies. Perhaps one of the best vasectomy programs you can find anywhere is the Mexican vasectomy program. Because vasectomies in Mexico are free. The government pays for them. And uh, uh, even they, they, uh, they're, they're done by GPs. And they go through a very, very disciplined and strict program of six months for them to be able to do them. And they do them better than the urologists. And hey,
0: j- hey, j- just to be clear, it's and just to be clear, it's six months on top of medical school. It's not just like a six month program. No, six months after they've become
1: physicians. Yeah, like,
0: right. Yeah, I just want. To, yeah, yeah, I just want to make it clear. You said this rigorous six month medical
1: training no, is
0: after they're already doctors.
1: Wait, yes, our physicians are. Yeah, that. got it. We have a really very really well established program, uh, but I think the issue is that still the mentality is let's dump this, let's dump this responsibility on women. Actually, we continue to work alongside uh, uh, the, the Mexican authorities. We have a good relationship with for vasectomy Day with them. And, and it's, it's all about increasing the awareness. You know, there's a lot of really good people in Mexico trying to push for more vasectomies at the expense of, the, of, of reduction in the tubal ligations, but it, it's a cultural issue. It's a cultural issue, and, 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 and it's more of a cultural issue in some places more than in other places, but in, in general, there's a, a big cultural uh, issue that, that, that leads this. Yeah,
0: well, very cool. Very cool. So you've created a whole business here, Dr. Guardian, on uh, helping men to get vasectomized. It's quite a, a impressive way that you are using uh, the force of commerce and your own career to help make the world a better place. You mentioned earlier a book called The Human Element yeah. as something that was influential on you. We can link to that in the show notes at businessforgoodpodcast.com. But are there any other resources that you feel have been helpful for you that you think other people might appreciate or might benefit from? you dropping right now?
1: Well, you, you, um, you are very familiar with this person because he wrote the foreword of your book, uh, Yuval Harari. Uh, one thing that, uh, and it, it, you know, it probably made me think a lot about what we're doing in the world. And, and it was his book, Sapiens. You know, it was just, it was a terrific thing for me. You know, it was, it, it took me a while to read it because I would read a, a portion of the book, and it would shake me so much that I had to put it down because I had to think about everything that was happening around me, around the world, how I viewed the world, and I and then I have to wait and pick it up again and then start reading, and I put it down again yeah. because it was it was it's very it's a it's it's a very interesting book, and and it, it made me think about, I guess, taking. Uh, making decisions to really feel as satisfied with the social projection that I was having, and and I felt like I was satisfied because I was helping uh, families, young families, and the pregnancies and all that. But I, I was I felt like I was lacking that social projection. Every time I came back from overseas doing vasectomies, I would come back incredibly energized. You know, it was it was excellent. And then I I was just Slow down, because I was just in the same routine of doing the same thing I was doing already uh, with, with, with every single case of pregnancy, which I absolutely loved. I, I, don't get me wrong. I, it, it was hard for me to leave all that and just do only vasectomies. But being able to do only this uh, gave me, freed a ton of time for me to be able to focus on World vasectomy day, to focus on, on the projection, on, on the discussion, on the activism of what I was doing uh, already. So I guess that book was was really helpful for me on that. It shook me personally. And and this other book on I, I I listened to I listened to Shankar Vedanta and, and uh, a hidden brain talk about fuel and combustion. Uh, I'm sorry, fuel and friction. It was a it was a podcast he had. Um and and then I started reading more about this and I came across the uh, Lauren Norgren's book, The Human Element, and it talks about friction. And I had been thinking about the obstacles of men having, uh, having a vasectomy, and it, it has put a lot of things in perspective for me. I think that uh, not, not just to mar- not with the purpose of marketing something, but with the purpose of understanding why people don't do certain things, that book is fantastic, and I like it.
0: Very cool. Well, we will link all of that in the show notes for this episode again at businessforgoodpodcast.com. Let me ask you then finally, a final question here that we ask everybody who comes on the show. Obviously you are devoting your life to vasectomizing as many men as you can. And that is an extremely
1: noble thing, but I'm sure there are, (laughs) I'm sorry, as many men uh, who want to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah you you're not you're not yet into the involuntary involuntary sterilization game okay I, I, I'm with you so the question I'd have for you though is are there other business ideas out there that you hope that maybe somebody listening to this show will pursue themselves it uh, could be in contraception or, or anything else I mean there's you know you mentioned that only condoms and vasectomies are the options for men maybe there's some business out there to do something else yes. that would help men make an easier time maybe with something that's uh, more reversible than vasectomy oh. um, but what else is there that you hope that somebody else might take up, uh, let's say, take the ball and run with it, and uh, create a new business here that would do some good in the world. Well,
1: with with the additional methods of contraception, there's a lot in the works right now that are there are multiple things that have been tried. So that's I'm just hopeful for those things to to for men to to uh, flourish. Uh, but businesses, I think that one of the biggest problems that we have, at least in this country and and many other countries, but at least in this country, is is our health care system. And I think the healthcare system has been awfully, awfully complex. It has become too complex. And my own experience doing what I'm doing the way I'm doing it, simplifying the access to to vasectomies is something that I would love to see in other aspects of medicine. You know, the simplification of the patient-physician relationship, you know, taking out of that relationship so many third parties that complicate the, 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 the process. There was a there has been a movement uh, that has been has been has been out for a while already called direct primary care and and that movement of direct primary care has has helped a lot of people to have primary care services at, at a very affordable cost and has allowed physicians to get out of that rat race that many feel uh, we were in uh, when you're seeing when you're seeing patients when they when, when you're demanded by by the relationship you ha- you have with insurances, Uh, To see patients every 10 minutes and you don't get to know the patients very well. I think that businesses that look at simplifying the relationship, simplifying the the delivery of healthcare um, will be be, uh, businesses that I would love to see flourish more.
0: All right. Very cool. Well, maybe there will be a future episode of this podcast where someone who is inspired by you to start some cool new business doing just that will be the uh, the guest. So one can hope. But Dr. Escar Guardian, thank you so much for all you're doing. Really appreciate all the work that you're doing to uh, help men take more control of their own reproductive lives and do some good in the world here for a whole variety of reasons that we've mentioned. So I appreciate what you're doing. I hope that we get to meet in person sometime. And I really hope that I get to uh, see this mobile clinic as you say one small snip for man and one giant leap for human kindness
1: very good thank you very much for having me here paul it's been a total pleasure and and thank you for spreading the word.
0: thanks for listening we hope you found use in this episode if so don't keep it to yourself please leave us a five-star rating on itunes or wherever you get your
1: podcast and as always we hope you will be in the business of doing good